Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And above all, I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Father Bruce Wilkinson, a retired Catholic priest living in Atlanta and author of a recent article in America Magazine entitled, I Was Kicked Out of Seminary for Being Too Black, But God Wouldn't Let Me Go. Well, I wanted to speak with Father Bruce today because I don't think we often get to hear from Black priests who've made it through the seminary and maybe didn't have the best experiences. What does he mean by being too Black? How did the seminary see him as being too Black? What happened? How did he deal with it? What made him still become a priest? I want to talk with him about all of those things, as well as get his take on what should seminaries be doing today so that no Black man that enters ever experiences what he did. So stick around for that conversation. I have been thinking about seminaries now for a couple of years, maybe even more than a couple, given we had been talking about abuse in the church and the conversation in the last few years has talked about what's happening in seminaries. Then I read this article by Father Bruce Wilkinson And it made me reflect upon the fact that seminarian formation needs to occur to make sure priests are not only healthy in terms of self-mastery around sexuality, but even in just having sensitivity in dealing with the human person and dealing with people who are of a different race. I don't think we actually start to talk about that. And so things like pastoral care uh, in terms of dealing with issues of race or difference having that kind of sensitivity, the attitudes of the seminaries of not being one of hostility, but ones of humility, the ability to be able to listen about hot button issues in society, and in particular, diversity, racial inequality, all of those things. You know, I I think we have to really delve into that. I mean, human formation is important and it isn't limited just to one's ability to control their sexual urges. We have to look at that. And and I will say, you know, from experience, from knowing the experience of other Black Catholics, guys that come out of seminary and who become priests who don't have this kind of formation around the differences in human persons regarding race can create a lot of harm and hurt. I mean, I'm even thinking about the kind of guys who are attracted to seminary today. Um, I, I will share with you this one little tidbit Many years ago, my husband and I were part of a church where the young adults were on fire for the Lord. They were very actively pro-life. Just, you know, to just check off the box of all the things that people would look for if they consider themselves devout. And these guys were saying they're devout. They were, you know, interested in the priesthood. Some were like, well, maybe I my vocation is to marriage, but I should look into the priesthood. And so we were excited to be a part of uh, other young people on fire for the Lord. So it's quite disappointing that of these guys who considered themselves seminary material, that I would receive an invitation to a redneck barbecue. And the picture for the invitation were all the guys in this house, because there was a house of young men, these devout Catholics, some of them considering seminary. Actually, one of them wasn't seminary, you know, because they want to make everything right in the world. The picture was all of these guys dressed in, I guess, a way that they consider, quote, rednecks. I don't know what they were trying to get across, but how rednecks would look. 
But what was most striking was the only non-white person in the picture who was a seminarian, they'd placed a noose around his neck. And I paused and looked at this picture like, am I seeing this right? I had my husband come look at it. My husband's like, I told you not to mess with those folks. (laughs) Gotta love them. (laughs) But when I saw it, I I, I reached out to the guy that sent me the invitation and said, hey, using the term redneck conjures up a whole lot of negative stuff historically for me as a Black person. But to make it super clear, adding the noose and putting it around the neck of the one non-white person in the house Dude, what are you what are you trying to say? I was like, this is not funny. This is actually quite harmful. And it, it brings up a lot of memories of terrible events, atrocities that have happened against the black community. And so for me to get this image in an email from a, a fellow devout Catholic, I, I I was shocked and disheartened at the response of we didn't mean it that way, just like so casually dismissing this history, this violence that he willingly shared with me and countless other Catholics who he invited to this redneck barbecue. And the only person that responded was a seminarian. And he wrote the most beautiful apology. And I'll note the seminarian was an immigrant from Korea who had absolutely no understanding of lynching and the Black experience in the United States. And he once he discovered it based on what I wrote with him, he said, just the most beautiful apology. And he completely distanced himself from this redneck barbecue, which I understand still went on as planned. And so we got a problem. I mean, imagine, I mean, these are young, faithful guys. These are the guys that would be picked for going to seminary. And what do they experience when they get in seminary that would help sensitize them, you know, that would help them learn about this history and wouldn't, I guess, bolster that kind of dismissive attitude when somebody points to, hey, this is a scar. This is an unhealed scar. This hurts. That they don't say toughen up and get over it, but instead listen and consider this other person's perspective. So I'm hoping that in having conversations about seminary, seminary formation, a human formation being important, sensitivity being important, that we understand that this is for the good of the entire church because seminarians who are not properly formed in this way become priests who are not properly formed in this way who then in turn inflict and harm the unsuspecting flock with their incorrect, insensitive attitudes toward human suffering, real documented human suffering. And we don't need that. We need us to be more caring, more concerned, have more empathy with people in their suffering. We need guys who aren't going to stand in the ambo and preach from on high. We need them to cry with us. We need them to listen. We need them to be actually interested in what we're saying. We need them to be unafraid and joining us in the struggle for justice and respect for the human person. We need them to not be careerists, you know, Consider it, you know, oh, I want to be a bishop, so I can't do this and any other. We just need them to be shepherds like Jesus. We need them to be the good shepherd. We need them to be willing to get on the cross. And sometimes getting on the cross means listening to our suffering, you know, and, and that can be a very difficult thing. We need them to be humble. We need them to love us. I guess that's what I really am saying. We need them to love us the way we deserve to be loved. 
And so I'm hoping we can have this conversation just to get it kicked off, to have us start to talk about it, that we need to be concerned not just about legal consequences, but the spiritual consequences of having men come out of seminaries who are not well-formed. Before we get into this conversation with Father Bruce Wilkinson, I want to talk a little bit about why I'm doing this podcast with America Media. You know, I like the rapper Jay-Z and some of his songs. And so I'm going to riff on him a little bit and say, there are 99 problems in the church, but our conversation ain't one. (laughs) We are trying to have these conversations. America is helping facilitate these conversations by producing this podcast in collaboration with me so that we can help the church in America address what needs to be healed. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do that in this podcast. At least we're going to try to. And we hope to do it with your help. And the way you can do that is to get a digital subscription to America. You can help support the Gloria Purvis podcast that way. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Father Bruce Wilkinson is up next. My guest today is Father Bruce Wilkinson. He's a retired Catholic priest living in Atlanta. He was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. He went to seminary in Indiana and Ohio, and after ordination, served as a pastor in Atlanta until his retirement from full-time ministry in 2017. He authored a recent article in America Magazine. It was called, I Was Kicked Out of Seminary for Being Too Black, But God Wouldn't Let Me Go. Thank you, Father Wilkinson, for joining me today on the Gloria Purvis podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's indeed an honor to be here with you. Oh, glad. You know, I saw the title of that article, and I couldn't couldn't press the link (laughs) fast enough to to read it. I was like, what? What in the world? Because, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone, at least, you know, I know people have had books and things like that, written books that weren't necessarily with large, large publishers, but to see this in such a prominent place in mm. America magazine, I was like, I have got to read this. And thank you for your courage to be able to testify to what happened. So lay it out for us. And for some of our listeners, if you haven't read the article, we'll make sure we have a link in the show notes. But lay it out for us what it was like that first day of seminary where you saw hundreds and hundreds of people, yes. but you were the only brother. Well, I call that being the raisin and the rice. <laughs> that's, that's an excellent description. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it was a rather surreal experience uh, in Chicago in high school. I had gone to a, an integrated high school with people from different cultures mm-hmm. and, of course, different people of color, white, black, mm-hmm. Asian, Native American. But when I got to the seminary, I was really surprised to find out that I was going to be the only black person there out of the students, out of the faculty, out of the people living in the county. You know, it was the only of the only of the only. Right. So it was, at first, it didn't bother me because I wasn't expecting any kind of trouble or rejection. Mm -hmm. But quickly, I found out that being the only Black person 
in that particular setting did make me stand out to the point where some people felt uncomfortable. Some people felt that I was didn't belong there. I just have to ask, can you clarify where your seminary was, where that particular seminary was? The seminary was St. Minred, located in St. Minred, Indiana, in southern Indiana. Wow. So give me an example of what made it clear to you that your participating fully in the seminary made people uncomfortable. Like, what was the source of their discomfort? In the 70s, this was during the 70s, mm-hmm. and where this seminary was located, there actually, in fact, I'm sure you've heard of this one priest who's deceased, Father Cyprian Davis. Yes, Benedictine father who wrote the history of Black Catholics in the U.S. Yes, of course. Right. He was a monk at the abbey where the seminary was located. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he was not there at that time. He was doing his research, actually, in Europe at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, within the first two weeks, I was constantly reminded, oh, you know, Father Cyprian, when he was ordained here, people didn't want to go to communion to him and people didn't want to go. Oh, well, that, you know, they didn't talk about, oh, you know, he's an excellent teacher or wow. he was a you know, scholar or holy man. Right. It was all about people didn't like him because he was black. And I went, well, why are you telling me this right. in this context? And it became clear that I was the next test case of whether or not being Black in this environment was going to produce, you know, some negative kind of events. And it did manifest itself the first year Mm. when I had a cross burned on my desk by unknown students. Wait a minute. And of course... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this is an article, but just to hear you say it, I'm having such a visceral reaction Mm -hmm. because I know what a burned cross means on somebody's property. I mean, that was typically one of the racial terror tactics of the Klan. And this happening in a seminary among a community of men who are dedicating themselves to God to serve God's children in the church and someone or more than one person got together and burned a cross and violated your space, went into your room and burned a little cross on your desk. Well, I never discovered who actually participated. (sighs) Once the story became known that it had happened, there were a few students, and I mean, unfortunately, a very few number of students were very outraged of saying, how could this happen? And, you know, this is terrible. And But what really surprised me was that the administration at that time, their first question to me was, well, what did you do? (laughs) As if, even if I had done something, that would not have justified someone burning a cross on my desk. So, you know, there was never a, well, we need to get to the bottom of why this was done, who did it. It It was more of, well, you know, you just be quiet. Don't make a big fuss about this. It'll make us look bad. Whatever you did, maybe you just need to be more low profile. And that was very, very disconcerting. Father, disconcerting. I, I, I'm I, a combination of angry and sad and well, yeah. all of these things. And it didn't even happen to me. It didn't even happen to me. And I'm also thinking, I thought when you go to seminary, part of your formation was to teach men how to be pastoral <laughs> to people, to care for people experiencing trauma or difficulty. 
but that that's not the treatment you received no. regarding your trauma. How did they square that with how they're training uh, men to go out and be pastors and shepherds? At the time, I didn't really process it. It took time to process what actually was happening. Mm-hmm. And what I finally came to understand was when you're used to living in a society that exercises hatred toward another because of the way they look, uh, the color of their skin, Mm. that becomes normal. Mm -hmm. And I should add that in the backdrop of this, it was also during a time when Louisville, Kentucky, which was about 80 miles away, Mm -hmm. they were beginning the process of forced busing. And that brought up all sorts of angry responses, especially from seminarians who were from that area. So, you know, it was sort of like, this is normal. We've never been around a Black person. So for us to witness this, yeah, we've never seen it, but it's not something we would think is overly strange. Okay. My head is just blown. So in response to efforts to desegregate, you had people in the seminary openly expressing their anger about this? There were people, there was more the silence. Mm. You know, again, a few people who knew me and had become friends with me, they were very surprised and shocked and angry. Mm, But most people were just silent. I mean, even though we're talking, I think at that time, there were maybe 300 students in that portion of the seminary, maybe 500 altogether. Right. It was just the silence. (laughs) And for a while, you know, people, when they would see me, there were these looks of, oh, hopefully he won't mention it or he won't talk to us. But no one was like, we need to find out who did this or we know who did this and they need to be held accountable. So the silence was the more difficult piece. And I learned long ago, at least as a Black person, if I became angry, then that was even more of a pretense to say, oh, something's wrong with you. You're supposed to be forgiving. You're supposed to be, (laughs) you know, (laughs) loving your enemy. And I never thought that my enemy would be in the seminary with me. You know, as I think about the testimony you're sharing here, I am thinking about all the Black priests that I know who are older than you and what their experience in seminary might have been like. Mm -hmm if they weren't fortunate enough to be able to go to a seminary that had a larger Black population. Mm -hmm. And the kind of, um, just the isolation, the fact that there was no one to discuss with you this experience and actually give just an ear without pushing back on how you experienced it and trying to make it seem like you deserve this. That's spiritual abuse, Father. That's spiritual abuse. Yes. Yes. You know, I I often wondered, and I was very fortunate that that last year that I was there before I was asked to leave, Father Cyprian did return to the monastery. Mm -hmm. I was overjoyed because I had heard so much about him. And I wanted to have a conversation with him about my experiences, about, you know, his viewpoint as a Black priest, given the, the times and how he dealt with the rejections that he had received. And he was very, very supportive. He was very understanding. I think, however, as in some cases, 
no matter how supportive you are, there's not really much you can do to change the circumstance. Right. He had no official capacity other than being a teacher among many of the teachers there. But he was supportive of me, and I did appreciate right. that. And he was vocal, as I found out later, about that situation, me being asked to leave. He was opposed to it, but that didn't really make much of a difference in the end. And I found out, again, this was my first year there, through an experience I had to go to a jewelry store to get a battery for my electronic watch. And again, I didn't have a car, so my experiences always were kind of focused being at the seminary because I didn't have any way of getting away from that. So uh, we went to this jewelry store in (laughs) a local town and walked into the store, myself and three other seminarians. And we walked in the store and we're kind of looking around at the different items in the display case. And I am assuming it was the owner or the manager. He was standing up more toward the back of the store and he didn't move. He just stood there and stared. So eventually, waiting, I kind of looked at him saying, well, you know, are you coming to ask what we need? And one of my friends said, well, we need some help. So at that point, he came towards us. And before I even had a chance to tell him what it was that I wanted, he said to me, oh, you know, they're none of your kind who live here. (laughs) And I was, you know, at first I was like, oh, I didn't hear him correctly. Hmm. He said, you know, there are no, using the N-word, of you living here. Whoa. And I was just oh. shocked. And I looked at my friends. They looked at me. I said, don't react. Just ask what you want. Right. I said, I need a battery for this watch. He says, I'm really surprised that you came into this shop knowing that there are no N wow. people living here. Wow. And I said, okay, I think I'll get a battery from someplace yeah. else. And, yeah. you know, we walked out and my friends were like, wow, I can't believe he did that. And he said that. And I said, yeah, yeah there are people like that. <laughs> For our listeners who are unfamiliar with it, what you've recounted really is the experience of being in what in some cases are called a sundown town, where there are Black people who do not live in the town and you better be out by sundown. Yeah. And the kind of tactic that that store owner used was to let you know you were in a town like that, that it was all white by either force, (laughs) by law, or by uh, physical threat. And believe you me, him continuing to use that racial slur and remind you there was no one else like you around was a threat, was a reminder. And also the fact that I find interesting is that the other men, presumably white, since you're the only Black person at the seminary, were more surprised, okay, but then didn't see the need to intervene when he used the slur the first time Mm -hmm. and then the second time, Mm -hmm. and just observed. You know, it's sometimes telling on the people who call themselves our friends by their silence in reaction to witnessing our debasement, for lack of a better word, you know. Yeah, I for me the prejudice is you know and hate racial hatred has been unfortunate part of our society a long time. Though mm-hmm. this was the first time I had put it in context of also religious faith because this particular part of Indiana at that time was ninety five percent Catholic. Oh, so most of the people you encountered all were Catholic. I was told there was a long history of why. Catholics had settled in that area. So it began to be, you know, for me, understanding that 
the prejudice that I experienced was not just an aberration right because me being the only black person in the seminary yeah but that was also typical apparently of this region where like you said there had been black people who lived in that area who yeah. had crossed the Ohio River from Kentucky to escape slavery yeah. but were forced to leave that area were not welcomed in that area to reside in the area or forced to you know move someplace else so it began to what i was being introduced to and being told later on was that oh yeah there's been a long history of black people not being welcomed you know it's interesting what you described though to say we weren't welcome i'd say that was welcome is a very mild word to describe the kind of outright direct hostility the direct assault on your person by using this racial slur more mm-hmm. than once and very pointedly to make sure you understood that you were isolated yeah. and less than. So, you know, it's interesting. People say, oh, you know, they don't feel welcome there. That's just too sanitized a way to describe that outright hostility that you experience. But I, I'm curious, though, how did these experiences in seminary, in the town, with, uh, you know, presumably the gentleman you were interacting with himself was maybe Catholic. How does this shape your theology, your understanding of Catholicism? You know, I wanted—it had always been a part of my experience growing up. My mother was very active in issues of social justice. She was a teacher dealing with issues Mm -hmm. of education inequities in Chicago. So she had exposed me uh, at times. uh, Even when I didn't want to go, she made me go to these meetings. And I became very engaged in, uh, you know, eventually in— Okay, this is something that needs to be done. And and even though I was not Catholic at the time, I met priests in Chicago who were very right. engaged in changing housing discrimination, church segregation. So I never put it in context of my own religious faith because I didn't really have much right. at that time. Right. But they began more and more as I experienced it at seminary, I began to see, okay, this is something that I can't be silent about and I can't pretend like it, nothing's wrong. So as I became more vocal, I would talk about the experiences. You know, here we are at a seminary being formed to serve the church. Here are these issues going on around us, and yet we're pretending like they don't exist. That isn't right. And there were, you know, there were some other students who felt deeply as I did about, no, we can't be silent. No, these things must be spoken to. But there was never a, a method by which we could officially address them right. or talk about them within the education setting of formation. And I can tell you, I've had experiences in Catholic spaces on social media mm-hmm. uh, right now mm-hmm. where it's not welcome that you talk about racial injustice, that you talk about what's happening, you talk about some of the church documents that deal with racism. In fact, I had a young man say that the late uh, Cardinal George was wrong when he wrote his pastoral letter on racism. And I'm like, wow. And these are young white Catholics that have this open hostility toward anyone discussing racism. And even more than that, even if I wasn't discussing racism, I faced hostility for sharing anything that portrayed Catholicism outside of their understanding of what Catholicism should look like. So if I shared a story about Sister Thea Bowman, you know, that was an issue. And I remember the moderator of the group actually 
sent me a private message saying, you talk about race too much. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just talking about Catholicism. It's just not, you know, I'm talking about Catholicism, but if all you see is race, that's not my problem. That's yours. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you're talking about an issue of the brokenness of humanity and instead of people engaging in that in a place where men are supposed to be trained to deal with the brokenness of humanity, you were made to feel as if you were violating some unspoken rule. So walk us through what happened. You know, you got notified by surprise that you were not Mm -hmm. getting re-enrolled in the seminary. And you're like, yes, I am. You drive all the way out to Indiana and walk us through that conversation when you get there. I'm assuming it's with the rector. I was quite curious was what was going on because initially when I first called, I was told by my vocation director, he said, you know, something's going on at the seminary. You need to find out because you're going back into the seminary, right? I said, oh, yes, I am. He said, well, you need to find out what's going on. So when I initially called down to the seminary, thinking that there was just maybe a misunderstanding, initially the phone call started out very friendly. I was speaking with another person in the office, and they were, oh, yeah, we're looking forward to you being back. And, (laughs) you know, so saying, do you have a good summer? Is everything going? Oh, yeah, that's been wonderful. I said, but I've gotten this message, and I'm really confused. And so, so let me check it out. It's probably just a misunderstanding. So a minute, two minutes pass, and it comes back to the phone, and it's just different attitude. Oh, you need to come down here. Um, um, I can't tell you what's going mm. on. You need to come down here. I said, oh, okay, well. So, mm. you know, my parents... <laughs> We get in the car and they were, why, why are we driving all the way down here? Why, why are you going? I said, Dad, I don't, know. I don't know. Just, I've been asked to come down. So wow. when we arrived and I told them when I would be there and I got there, I walked into the office and I, you know, you, you know, when people, you walk into a room and everybody, all of a sudden, everything stops and you go, oh, something's wrong. So they kind of had a heads up, I suppose, that there was going to be something negative to go down. Again, what saddened me most initially was when I met with the rector, Hmm. you know, and he was saying, well, no, you didn't fill out the required forms to say you were returning. And I said, well, first of all, there were no required forms that I was ever told about. And then I said, second, I picked out a room that I was going to be living in this coming year. I put most of my things that I was not needing for the Mm -hmm. summer in this room. Why would you let me do that if there was not going to be returning? But here's the thing, Father, let me interrupt you for a second. Here's the thing. He couldn't tell you that over the phone, that, hey, you didn't fill out some paperwork, technically speaking. Can I fill it out for you over the phone or can I mail it to you? Can you get it back to us as soon as possible? None of that. So, I mean, really, instead of just getting to the crux of the matter, they were throwing up the, you don't dot all your I's and cross all your T's? Really? Yeah. I, you know, and again, I this was never a procedure I had ever heard of. I okay. mean, the only thing I had ever heard of is if, if your diocese or religious order had withdrawn support, right. they would inform the seminary. Right. And then you would not be allowed to come back. But that wasn't the case for me. And 
So how did you get them to the point of admitting it's because you made people uncomfortable because you're Black? Like, get right to that point. How did that come to be made clear to you? Well, when he realized that that story wasn't going to go anywhere, he then just went straight to the point and said, okay, let me just tell you, we don't want you here. You don't fit in. You make people uncomfortable because you're always bringing up issues about service to the Black community and ministry to Black people. And, you know, that just makes people uncomfortable. And it would be better for you not to come back here. And mm. at that point, you know, I didn't know what to say. I just, well, I didn't have anything to say. I just kind of said, oh, okay. And I really wanted to scream. Right. I really wanted to yell at him. I already knew that was not an option. A Black man becoming angry, excited, especially toward a priest. That was not going to be a good optic. So I stood up and I said, well, thank you for being honest. And so he said, well, you need to go get your stuff and take it home with you. And, you know, it was, it was similar at that moment when I walked out. You know, I was being followed by two people. Oh. And I couldn't, I refused to, re I, well, I tried not to react because I wanted to yell. I wanted to cry. I wanted to release all my emotions, but I did not want to do that in front of these people right. that were with me, at the, the people from the office and, right. and certainly the rector. And as I collected my items, they were watching me as if I was going to steal something or destroy something. Right. It made it even more of a horrible moment because it was like, oh, you're dangerous, you're untrustworthy, we have to make sure you don't do something that's bad, and, you know, walked me to the door with the little push cart I had with uh, been given. And then once I got outside the door, you know, the doors closed, and, it, and you know, I'm pushing this cart of items to the car where my parents had been waiting. And of course, they had no idea that I was going to be doing that. So, you know, all these emotions were bought, were, were churning inside of me. Right. And then it was even, you know, I didn't want to show emotion in front of the people in the office of the seminary, but it became even more so with my father because he had been so opposed right. to me going into the seminary. And, you know, he was very negative about the Catholic Church. And so as I'm putting my items into the car, he's like, well, why are you packing up? And what went on? What did they say to you? And he, he knew, right. you know, he knew. So, you know, Father, one of the things that I'm curious about hearing of your experience is what can seminaries do to help prepare young men to be able to deal with a world that is different from their perspective, that maybe they might have difficult conversations or deal with people that have a different life experience. What should seminaries do to help prepare young men in that regard? One of the things that I had always hoped seminaries would do would be to allow and maybe even require seminarians to be in different settings that are not typical from where they come from. I had experiences of working in suburbs where a parish was 
majority white, Hispanic. Of course, I had experiences of working in parishes that were majority black. But most seminarians don't have that experience. It, you know, they pretty much are steered toward a kind of monolithic preparation. And I'm grateful to some, at least two of our bishops who were very, very sensitive to that. They wanted seminarians to be in a more culturally diverse setting and have opportunities to be exposed to different people of different backgrounds. Because the church is not monolithic. It is culturally diverse. And that's the world you're going to minister in once you, if you get ordained. And if you don't have that experience beforehand, it could be very, very hard learning it on the job. So I think the church is, again, as Pope Francis has, and I started with Pope John Paul II, but to make sure that we understand that the church is a worldwide church and not just a little corner of a piece of a country. So I know there are probably many listeners hearing of your experiences and are probably so shocked by it and themselves are probably processing it and having some difficulty. So they probably are wondering, well, how do you keep yourself from falling into despair Mm -hmm. after having these kinds of experiences? People fear what they don't know. You know, people are afraid to have a conversation because they're fearful of what they don't know. And therefore, you can only go back to what you've been exposed to as the truth. And in terms of discussions on racism, and I don't want to, this is a whole different other stuff, but even working with women, if you're not used to working with women, yeah, it's going to be kind right. of, a, of a very uh, bad, perhaps a bad outcome when you're actually working in a church where there are a lot of women. So it's, again, right. I think, I know it's hard to, you can't really force the conversation, but it's good to have a conversation, if possible, with people who are different than you. And right now, you know, that's, that's a challenge in the United right. States because we're used to only dealing with People only want to deal with people who think like them or look like them and not necessarily across the boundaries. Well, sometimes we also are having people don't want to have those difficult conversations. One last question, Father, for the listeners who are actually right now angry because of your experience, what advice would you give them on processing and dealing with that anger? Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I talked to uh, a few of the guys I've talked to who have gone into the seminary or in seminary. Everybody needs a good support network. I'm blessed that I had a good support network inside the clerical culture that supported me. And also people who were outside. I think, you know, going to the seminary for most Catholics is this mystical event that one day a person leaves and it's true for religious life. One day they leave, and then all of a sudden they come back and they're wearing a collar. And, you know, nobody really knows what goes on while you're there. But that's, I think, again, one of the things that I would say, I would hope that we could involve laity much more into the process of preparation, because we're all called through our baptism right. to serve God. It's just that a priest or a religious is called in a unique way to do it, but not a better way than anyone else. So what I'm hearing is make sure you have a good support system to deal with this kind of anger. And we need that. That's very important. 
Very, very important. Well, Father Bruce, I am so glad you were willing to talk with us today and be so forthcoming about your experience in a seminary in Indiana that had had an experience with a previous seminarian, the very well-known Benedictine Father Cyprian Davis, author of The History of Black Catholics in the United States. Yes. And yet were unable to welcome you in the fullness of who you are as a Black man. And we have to pray for Father Cyprian because I can only imagine what his experience was like many years before yours. Thank you again, Father Bruce. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much and God bless. If you want to catch more episodes of the Gloria Purvis podcast, be sure to follow the show on your podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I would love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.